After this, Jesus traveled from about one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop, a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let, him, let them hear. His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, the knowledge of the secrets of, king, of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and then d the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. The word of our Lord. Thanks. All right, let me pray for us. Lord, uh, guide us now. Oh, y'all can sit down. <laughs> it's easier to receive prayer when you're seated, right? Luckily, you can restart those prayers. <laughs> Lord, wow, I'm in an interesting mood this morning, Lord. Uh, spare these people from me and give them yourself. Uh, speak to us and prepare our hearts to come to this table, uh, we pray in your name. Amen. I am uh, bouncing back and forth between Granny White this morning, um, so you can pray for me, um, but we're going we're gonna to jump right in. Um, this story of this parable uh, that Adrian just read for us um, begins right on the heels of what we preached on or we talked about last week. And if you remember that, if you don't, I'd encourage you to go listen to it because it's a powerful, not my sermon, but just the story. Go read that story. It's a powerful story where this sinful woman, remember she had this notoriously known sinful life, public sinful life, um, goes to this meal at Simon the Pharisee's house after probably a time of Jesus' teaching, and she has this tearful, uh, perfumeful, hairful, emotional <laughs> yard sale all over Jesus' feet because she's worshiping him um, because of what he's done for her. And it's this, it's this kind of you know, record-skipping moment on the jukebox for everyone present, right? And Jesus, he responds to that situation... He responds to this woman and her actions, and he responds to Simon. Remember, he has a conversation with Simon and his reactions. He does that in such a way to teach or to display that everyone present, to everyone present, 
that this sinful woman, this notoriously public sinful woman, she has received forgiveness from me. She is the only one maybe in the entire story who truly understands who Jesus is. Remember, everybody's asking that question. Who's this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? She gets it, right? She gets that she's received Jesus' forgiveness. She has faith in him. And as a result, it's bearing the fruit of extravagant love, extravagant worship, right? To borrow from the parable that we just read, because I'm going to connect these two, because I think they're connected, the seed of Jesus' love, the seed of the sower, of his love and forgiveness and grace, has fallen into the good soil of her heart. And as a result, it's bearing fruit. Where was Simon, if you remember, Simon who was you know, showing no love, showing judgmentalism, showing no hospitality, Simon shows that this seed of the gospel is falling on hard soil, right? Soil that he was blind to, the fact that I need the very same forgiveness that this woman so clearly understands that she needs. And that hard soil of Simon's heart is resistant. I'm not going to receive the seed that Jesus is offering in this moment. The very next thing, I remind us of that story because the very next thing that Luke reports on, right? Luke's an author, and he's writing his gospel with an intent, right? It's this story, this parable of the sower. Jesus, it says there, is traveling from town to town and village, one village to the other, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. He's on the move with the disciples and this band, it sounds like, of merry women, right? And he's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And what is that good news? Remember what he said at the very beginning of Luke when he he stood up and read from that scroll of Isaiah and then he dropped the scroll, right? He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for the prisoner, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's That's who I am. That's what I've come to do. That's the good news. And how he's going about this in this moment, right after this scene, right after this this moment in Simon's courtyard with this notoriously sinful woman, is he decides to teach this somewhat cryptic parable. I mean, it's it's a farming parable, so everybody would have kind of gotten, there wasn't a ton of professions in those days. It's like, I'm gonna be the blacksmith, and I'm gonna be the, you know, the cobbler. And, you know, like, it wasn't a whole lot. Everybody would have gotten some of the farming metaphors here, but it's somewhat of a cryptic parable about this farmer and the seeds and the soil. It's at least confusing enough that his disciples, they didn't understand there, it says, and they asked him what this parable meant. And Jesus says this, To you, The secrets of the kingdom of God has been given, but to others I speak in parables so that though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. And he goes on to explain it. They ask him what the parable means, and he says, I'm teaching these parables in this way so that some will receive it and understand the mystery, and I'm acknowledging that I'm teaching in this way so that some won't. Now, that's confusing, 
I mean, it's an answer to the question, but it's a confusing answer to the question, isn't it? He's confusing his audience. Like, think about that for a second. Like, we're in a presidential year, right? There are teams of people that surround these people to help them think about communication, right? I bet nobody is sitting in a room and saying, hey, let's craft your speech so that half of the people or some of the people really understand what you're saying and some of the people don't, right? This is not how they teach you to communicate you know, in public speaking classes. This is not how to start a movement or get your kingdom platform established, right? Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand. But to you, a secret's being given. Jesus is saying, some of what I'm doing here is I'm confusing the audience. Why is Jesus handling it that way? Ooh, we're in it now, aren't we? Like this... This is one of the notoriously, Jesus has a bunch of these in the Bible. They call them hard sayings of Jesus. It's a hard saying. Something that right at the outset, I'm not even sure what to do with what you just said. Right? And if you're like me, and I think we're all kind of somewhat alike at least, hard sayings, they can kind of go one of two ways, right? I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Hard sayings can either make me hard, like I don't understand that and I don't get that, and so my heart becomes hard in that place of confusion, or hard sayings can actually break open my heart. They can be hard in a good way, like a plow drops into the ground and opens up the heart. Like, I have a mentor who says very hard things to me sometimes, many things oftentimes that I don't understand. And I was thinking about it this week and thinking, if the first time that he said something to me that I didn't get, I went, because we do that, right? You do that, the case of the, right? If I would have opted out in a hard way because I didn't understand what he said, versus leaned in, I would have missed out on so much that this man had to show me. Oftentimes, it wasn't about the hard saying. He was inviting me into a relationship with him where he was going to reveal some things and not others. Like a lot of us, we will spend our entire life, much of our life, much of our emotional energy, much of our time trying to get God to answer a question that he promises in Scripture clearly, I'm not going to explain that to you. And yet, I keep coming back and saying, why, why, why? Like verse 10 is an answer, right? Though seeing they may not see, though hearing they may not understand, I'm giving you something. That's an answer, but it's an answer that requires faith. It's an answer that requires trust and embracing some mystery, right? It's an answer that requires faith, not agreement, And oftentimes, I can spend all of my energy trying to get God to answer one question even. He says, I'm not going to answer that for you. And I'll I'll spend all my energy there rather than, and at the expense of, looking into and being led in what he makes infinitely clear to me. 
I've got this whole field of stuff I want to reveal to you. And so I'm inviting us because he says something very confusing before he teaches this parable and unpacks it for the disciples. I'm inviting you to be a disciple this morning. And the disciples were this. In their confusion, they were curious instead of calloused. In their confusion, they said, help. Teach us. Help us understand this. Because that's what disciples are. Disciples are curious in the face of confusion, not calloused in the face of confusion. This parable, it builds on and it reinforces what was on full display last week at this dinner party. That if you are going to love much, because this whole parable is about fruit and about the soil and its conditions. The focus of the parable really is on bearing fruit and on the conditions of the soil. If we're going to love much, if we're going to bear the fruit of loving much, then the soil of our hearts and and its condition, it matters. Because the seed of the sower, the sower and his seed, because he's cast in the seed, the seed and the sower, Jesus is saying this parable, it's got to go deep. It's got to penetrate past the surface, way down into the heart, if mature fruit is going to emerge. So three things. Getting fruity. Okay. I know. Sorry. I've only got like five days between these things. This is the best I can do. Getting fruity. Right? <laughs> Laugh at me. I don't care. Getting fruity. The soil and its spoilers. And then lastly, our good farmer tending good soil and bearing good fruit. Getting fruity, the soil and its spoilers, our good farmer tending good soil and bearing good fruit. Getting fruity. It's really clear here. No farmer goes out and is like, man, I just hope I, hope I get some fruit out of this, right? The goal of the sower, the goal of the seed, the goal of the good news is what? It's fruit. Talks about it at the very end, right? The good soil who hears the word and retains it and by persevering produces a crop. I'm interested in the crop. I'm interested in not just saving you from your sins or extending forgiveness to you, but I've saved you to something, to a new life. A new life of remaining in my love, letting the seed go deep because I was made, you were made to bear his image. And part of bearing of his image, a big part of it, is love, right? extravagant love. He makes it really clear elsewhere, like in John 15, you've got to remain in me. My seed has got to remain in you. If you're going to bear that fruit, you have to receive that love. And this section of Scripture, you know, the first three verses and then at the very end, it begins and ends commenting on the fruit of the gospel, Right? The first part, it seems kind of disconnected, kind of like from the story last week, but I think it's all connected. It reports on these different women, right? On Mary of Magdala, who had seven demons cast out of her. On Joanna, the wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna. Don't say a lot about Susanna. Sorry, Susanna. And many others. These women were helping support them out of their own means. What is he talking about? He's talking about all of these different women. They had an encounter with Jesus. They met Jesus. 
And they're all over their map. There's a demon-possessed woman. We had the sinful woman from last week, the notorious probably prostitute. The demon-possessed woman. You got someone who's married to Herod's you know, manager of his household, this woman who's probably in an incredible place of influence in government. All of these women met Jesus, and as a result, it's bearing fruit. And the fruit is this. I want others to hear the good news. I want other people to meet Jesus. And I, I, I want that so badly, I'm going to leverage my own means. That's what it says there. I'm going to leverage my own means, my resources, my position, everything in my life for that to happen. Just like the sinful woman last week, they're responding in love from their own means because they want the seed to go out. And they want it to take root in other people as it's taken root in them. That's why it says in John 15, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is how the world, Scripture says, will know that you're my disciples is because that there will be this love, this fruit that comes out of your life that is unique to who Jesus Christ is. So if, if the goal of the sower and the seed is not just a bus ticket to heaven someday, but I want to bear fruit in your life, what is in the way of you getting fruity? What's in the way? Point two, the parable. <laughs> the soil and its spoilers. A lot of commentators actually believe this should have been named Name, you know, people much smarter than I arm wrestle over these things. The parable of the soils instead of the parable of the seed or the sower. Jesus talks here at length about the soil. And when asked by his disciples to explain the parable, he says, Okay, I will do it. Remember, when you're confused, does that lead to curiosity? Leaning into the relationship with Jesus, or does that lead to callousness? No thanks. Right? They ask, and he says, okay, I'll take you a step further. I was talking about this with Hudson the other day. Sorry, Hud, I didn't ask you about this. Uh, in math class, he brings home math homework, and he shows it to me, and I'm like, I have no idea what this is. It might as well be hieroglyphics for me, and I just say, go talk to your mother. Right? <laughs> But I've asked him about his teacher sometimes and said, do you ever, when he explains the problem, do you stop and say, hey, I don't understand what you're doing right now? And he said, no. And I didn't really ask him this, but I'll tell you why I don't stop the teacher and say no. It's because I don't want to look dumb. You know what that's about? Pride. You know what that's exposing? Hard soil. I'm not curious because I don't want to look stupid, because I don't want to look like I don't know, because I want to be somebody who knows all the answers, and I'm proud. The disciples aren't proud here. They're curious. They're soft, right? And he says, okay, here's, here's, here's the parable. The sower's Jesus, that's me, seeds the word of God, it's the gospel message, the good news, and the soil is a cross-section of all of the different types of people, all the different hearts that this seed is falling upon. 
And I'll, I'll, I'll kind of give you a high flyover here, Jesus says, but basically this, that depending on the state of the soil and some of its external and internal challenges and conditions, depending on the state of the soil, that seed, it just doesn't end up taking root. And if the seed doesn't take root, it can't produce the fruit that the seed's intended to produce. So all y'all who have ears to hear, and Scripture says, eyes to see and ears to hear, the Lord gives those. So I need Him to give me those things. I need to be curious about that. I ask Him. He's saying to all those who have ears to hear, hey, would you consider, be curious in your confusion, not calloused, What's the state of my soil? And what's affecting my soil? Like if the fruit of extravagant alabaster jar shattering love, leveraging my own means, love, isn't happening in my life, I should stop and be curious about that. Not ashamed about that, but be curious. Is the seed deep enough? Has it gone as far as it can go? What's contaminating and affecting the soil? Well, he gives us some things when he explains the parable. First thing is this, some external things. I'll talk about external and internal soil spoilers, right? First thing is this, the devil. Now, I say that, and there's a lot of us you say, I don't even know what that means. I, I, that seems kind of not modern to think of an actual being who's working against me, even if I believe in a being who's working for me. Am I good? So I'm, I'm out. I'm hard-hearted to actually learning about my enemy. Just because you don't know about your enemy doesn't mean you don't have one, right? He says there that the devil comes and takes away the word from the heart so that they may not believe and be saved. So what is he saying? There's an external thing going on outside of you, and that's this. You have a spiritual battle going on for the word to not even make it past the surface, for it to never get to the heart. I'm comparing Satan here to a bird that snatches away the seed before it's barely landed probably because the seed already landed on some of this rocky soil. If we wanted to go into like Palestinian agrarian layout right now, I would, but we're not going to do that. Probably because it landed on hard surface. That's why birds get it quick, right? It never gets to the heart. And some of us, we willingly, because of our, our, our fear of actually going there, and our kind of pride of like, I don't want to act like I don't know. Some of us live obtuse to the spiritual battle that we are in daily, is what Scripture says. That's why in Ephesians 6, Paul says, the battle's not against flesh and blood. You're in, a, you're in an actual spiritual battle right now for this fruit. And you've got an adversary working against rabbits that are getting under the fence, right? Something that's working against this. I have to remind you that it's not against flesh and blood because in my pride, I would love to reduce my fruit bearing to my effort, right? It's just about me trying a little bit harder to grow bigger tomatoes. No, you've got a battle going on. And so 
If you're in Christ this morning, Ephesians 6 also tells you that you have resources for that battle. You actually have things that combat that spiritual battle, that spiritual enemy in Christ, that keep the soil receptive and growing and healthy. You have things like prayer. You have things like one another. You have things like the Word. That's what, let's talk about the Word for a second here. It says the Word is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. In Ephesians 6, it says that the Word is the sword in the hand of the Spirit. And so if you don't have the Word and you want to be a Spirit-led person, you can't be a spiritually defended person without the Word. You ever go into a battle without a sword? What happens? You die. Thank you. Yeah. I think I've said it before. It's like having the ADT sign out front of your yard without actually having the service. That's some of y'all's relationship with the Word. I've got a Bible that sits on my coffee table. I don't ever actually spend any time with it. I don't spend time with the Lord with it, but I've got it there. Well, if I have an ADT sign without the service... When, when a break-in happens and occurs, I don't really have any real defense, do I? I just have a sign. And I'm not saying that to guilt anybody. I'm talking about what God has given us for our own spiritual help and nurture. Not to make Him love us, but because He loves us, right? So we have an external soil spoiler, the devil. There's some internal ones he goes into here. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word and with joy they hear it, but it takes no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that falls among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and it doesn't mature. So external enemy, the devil, internal enemies. Let's talk about rocky and thorny for a second. All right? Now, we can't go into all this in depth. Small group, if you're in a small group, you're going to have a blast with this. There's a lot to talk about here. So you're going to have to let the Lord kind of unpack what I'm about to just, I'm about to scatter some seed, okay? And you can let the Lord pick it up with you. Rocky simply means this, that the seed, it made it into the soil, but not very deep. It's not just on the surface. It made it in a little way. It says there that they hear it and they receive it, but it doesn't get inside. It doesn't take root. You guys know my love of the film Inception, right? That whole idea of an idea getting way, way, way down deep into the subconscious. Because when it does, it actually will produce fruit in the life, right? We all know what this is like. When a word makes it beneath the surface and takes hold. Some of your lives are marked by words that have been said to you that have gotten deep inside of you and have taken hold and have shaped your entire life. And some of those are bad words. They've hurt you. They've come to define you. They actually may define some of the thorns in your life, like your worry, your love of money, your misunderstanding of your desire. We all know what it's like for a word to make it beneath the surface and take hold. And we also know when a word lands and it doesn't much go past the surface. Like for me at least, when a word doesn't go much past the surface, usually what it has to do with is, is not what was said, but who said it. 
do I actually value the person who spoke it to me? They can say beautiful things. Man, this is, this is being honest. I got a text on the way over here from somebody at Granny White. Man, thank you, Dave, for the word. I was like, Pff. It's the wrong person. Ooh, that was ugly. That's real, right? Do I care about who spoke it? Because this is the God of the universe speaking to you and saying, I've got a seed for you, I've got a truth for you, and I want it to go deep into your life, past the surface. It's challenging. Are you rocky? Are you a cultural Christian? Are you a Sunday Christian? Are you a sometimes, depending on the context, Christian? Or does the word root itself in your heart? Because you go to a church that believes the Bible teaches this, that all of life is worship. So every area of my life should be affected by this seed. And he says there, one of the ways you can know if you're rocky is when a test and a trial comes, right? When a test and a trial comes, am I curious... Lord, I know and, of course, admit, no one likes a trial, right? It's hard. It stinks. Lord, this is hard, but what do you want to do? What are you working? What are you doing, good farmer? How are you farming the field, right? Because some of you could attest to this. I know I can. Some of the most painful seasons, trialed seasons in my life, in time produced what? Fruit. Good fruit. Fruit that y'all are eating from right now. Because of the hardship, not in spite of it. It's a test when trials come. Am I going to be curious, Lord, what are you up to? Or am I going to become calloused? Lord, this is hard and I'm hard towards you. I've been there too, many times. In my rocky soil, in my thorn-filled soil, what is the thorns about? He says they're basically three things, and you can draw this triangle and have a heyday with it. Worry, wealth, and wants, right? These things can be thorns in your soil. And he explains it there. He says the word, it does take root, but these other things are living in the garden, and they have to be weeded out. They have to be pulled up by the roots and shaken out, get the dirt off of them so that they can be seen for the idols that they actually are. These are misplaced values in my life. And when those thorns, I mean, how many of you guys have hackberry trees that are covered in vines? Yeah, everybody's seen one of those, right? You don't even know what type of tree it is, right? It's just a vine thing. And all the only fruit you see on it is the fruit of the vine, right? Like of the bad, weedy vine, not the tree itself. Why? Because they do what it says here. They're choking the tree. They're competing for the ground, and they're preventing that seed from growing and spreading to every area of the garden. That's why Proverbs says you've got to guard your heart, guard the garden, weed the garden, because everything you do flows from it. Is worry in your garden? I mean, what is worry? worry worry's got fruit, Right? Some of you bear, I bear the fruit of worry, struggling to believe that God will provide what I truly need. 
And in the midst of that, running after other things that I believe I have to have for life. That's what Matthew 6 says. Is the fruit of worry in your life? How about wealth? Scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Not money is the root of all kinds of evil, the love of it, right? I love it. It's got a place in my life that competes with my love for the Lord. Is wealth choking out the gospel in your life? How about wants, pleasures, comfort? You know, what what the fruit of wants is in my life is envy. It chokes out my ability to love well what I do have because I'm spending all my energy trying to get what I don't have and envying you. It's like the double choke, right? I don't want what I do have and I want what you have. And he's saying there's fruit there in that thorny ground, but it's, it's tiny. Brant said it's like the, gra- the little grapes in the bottom of the bag. <laughs> you know, talk about like the little pea-sized grapes, right? It's crowded out by so much worry and wealth and want, it's not mature, and therefore you can't do much with it. Like you ever have somebody who has a good garden and they're good at gardening? What are they always doing? They're always bringing you bags of stuff. Dude, I got so many tomatoes, I can't even eat all these tomatoes. I need you to eat these tomatoes. Why? Because it's a healthy garden. The fruit isn't just for you to eat. The fruit's for you to eat. The goal is getting fruity of the sower and the seed. And there are real things that spoil the soil, that hinder the ability to have the word go deep. So let's talk for a second about this last verse. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. Let's talk about the marks of good soil for a second. And why I took the time to talk about these women in the beginning of this passage and even the woman last week is this. I want, you to, I want you to drop your eyes and remember those women right now as we talk about this because I think they're good soil, right? Because they're bearing fruit, right? They're good soil. What do we know about these women? Well, the first one is this. It says they're a noble and a good heart. What, what makes a noble or an honest and good heart? An honest and good heart is a heart that knows this. I need something that I can only get one place, and it's something I can't give myself. That's what Scripture says is an honest heart. That there's only one sower, there's only one seed, there's only one money lender like last week, and it's Jesus. And I can't get the love, the forgiveness, the hope, the peace, the rest, the confidence, the value the security that I was made to live in from anyone else but Jesus. No job, no relationship, no perfect scenario can give it to me. I was made for unfailing love, and there's only one source. So the first thing for good soil is is I have to be honest about my need for the seed and for the sower and acknowledge that all the time. Secondly, I have to invite the farmer in, and he, you know, we know that's a spiritual work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, but I, I can resist that, right? 
I can, I can kind of keep him at arm's bay. Always invite the farmer in because he's not just someone who's throwing seed. He's someone who preps the land. I farmed for years. You don't just go out like, today's seed day. You got to spend all this time getting the ground ready, right? All farmers know that soil conditions are vital to the health and the fruit and that the soil by itself can't make itself good. Only the farmer can do that. He's the one who makes hard soil soft. And so I say, come on, farmer. (laughs) By faith, I say, come on. I don't even understand the mystery of what you're doing, but come on, do the work in my heart's field. Many of you are in that place. You've, You've invited him in. And the seed's in there. And the last thing is this, and I'm challenging us this, who hear the word and retain it. And by patience, patience being a fruit of the Spirit, right? Perseverance, produce a crop. We have to hold fast and retain it. You have to hear the word, hold fast, and retain it. When I say hear the word, like, think about this. Many of us have kids, but everybody's had this experience. When I say, did you hear me, what don't I mean? Here's what I don't mean. Did you actually hear the words that I said to you? What I mean is, did you do what I just said to you, <laughs> right? Because hearing implies, in, in the Bible and in our secular lives, whatever, obedience, Not just did you hear what I said, but did you do what I said? That's why James says, don't be just hearers of the word, be doers of the word. Put it into practice. I have to hear it all the time because I'm hearing so many other words all the time, right? We are hearing so many other gospels all the time, competing messaging from the world around us that's saying, put your hope in this. Something other than the gospel. So I have to hear it all the time, but part of how I hold fast to it and I retain it, it's like in the wintertime when you keep your pipes on or you keep your faucet on because it's going to freeze. Our hearts get calloused quick. I got to keep the drip on all the time. Part of how I hold fast to it and I retain it is as I do things like what we're doing right now. Be here. I'm not guilting you right now. That's not even what this is about. Come here and make it a priority because he is sowing seed into your life and it's going to bear fruit. Be at your small group. Learn how to develop a life in the Word. If you don't know how, we'll help you. Learn how to pray. Learn how to meditate. Learn how to mortify sin and weed the garden of your life. Not because that will make God love you, but so that you can experience God's love for you. It's not legalism. It's actually stepping into the waterfall of that relationship and saying, set my heart at rest in your presence. And as I remain in you, it's going to bear fruit. All right, let me pray. Lord, feed us now at the table. Good father, good farmer. Um, With the seed, go deep. Uh, I've got so much rock, so many hard, hard places, Lord. I've got plenty of thorns. Uh, Do your work through your sacrament. 
um, weeding, tending our hearts, Lord, uh, and continue, Lord, uh, to bear the fruit of your love in our lives. Um, It's very clear that you love us. This table shouts it. In your name, amen.